Am I still sounding nice and clear? Nice and clear. Still hopped up on rage? Furious. <laughs> <laughs> no, you sound it. You sound seething. I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm off my tits on fury. <laughs> opposing the government and opposing the conservatives. I'm afraid it's the hard left who want to tighten their control. They want to uh, sideline uh, moderate voices. I don't think anybody should be surprised about that is the nature of the hard left. And of course, we know that the hard left famously cannot tolerate any who dissent. Who are the hard left, What's Chris? Well, we know who the hard Hit left are. are in the you know, I, ascendancy I, within, the, within the Labour Party who associate with the hard left. You just said so that we were right to right wing. The hard left United. agenda. Printing money, nationalisation without compensation, that sort of hard left-wing position, hard left, it's the hard left, 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 hard left, hard left, the hard left, the hard left, 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 hard by the people's mighty hand. Long live our people, united and free, strong in a friendship tried by fire. Long may our crimson flag inspire. Hello, good evening, and welcome. This is the Real Politics Podcast, and tonight we are taking on the line of Where's the Opposition? Where is the opposition, everyone? Where is the opposition? It's the word Where? on everyone's lips. And to discuss it tonight, we only have but one of our merry band of troubadours, Jack Frey and Reed. Hello. How's it going? It's all good. It's all good. Is it? And you have been enjoying... You've been enjoying the latest issue of Bastion of the Left, The New Statesman. Yes. How's that been? It's... It's been an experience. But first, I, I just want to say that uh, unfortunately our good comrade Yair Rice can't make it tonight as he has defected to Hamas. And he is fighting with all of his might. Yeah. Fresh from his Twitter ban, <laughs> invigorated, ready to take on the assorted slug. This is flying in the face of, of our podcast's avowed ultra-Zionist stance. <laughs> we have comrade Tom, who's also in Prague. Tom is in Prague, yeah. Didn't he visit the Museum of Communism or something to that effect? Oh, nice. I think so. He he sent us a picture of, like, a very elaborate piece of, like, hammer and sickle graffiti on the wall near where he's staying. <laughs> oh, beautiful stuff. And I would just like to say for our movie fans out there, because I know this is ostensibly a movie podcast to some extent. Um, <laughs> Val Kilmer has tweeted, it's important to be yourself. If you can't be yourself, be Batman. <laughs> and that is accompanied with a very good Batman meme where it says in a speech bubble, best Batman, A. West, B. Keaton, C. Clooney, D. Bale. And then... Batman is slapping this motherfucker's face <laughs> who's saying this, and he's like, Kilmer. <laughs> <laughs> Comrade Kilmer's timeline is fantastic. I mean, his tweet about Lou Reed, oh my god. What was his tweet about Lou Reed? Oh, it's something like, five years ago today I met Lou Reed at a party in New York. I tried to tickle him. He didn't respond at all. I miss him every day. 
completely out of the... Like, Lou must have been, you know, winding up by that point. You know, he died three years ago, so this is like elderly Lou Reed being tickled by Val Kilmer at a party. It's, it's a weird image. Yeah, I, th- I think he died in 2013. October 2013, I think it was. Oh, that was, that was sad. We're definitely going to do a Lou Reed episode at some point. Oh, um, yeah. Cause I mean, not like, not his politics, not, you know... <laughs> I believe in love, which is one of my favorite Lou deep cuts, where like he just like drops in a bit of like Nazi ideology to what he's singing. What? <laughs> it's like he's just doing like this old sort of vaudeville song, and he's like, "Oh, I believe in summertime, and I believe in shows, and I believe in the Iron Cross." <laughs> like, and he just sings past it. But, like, he, but he was—he was Jewish. Yeah. And bisexual. <laughs> It's uh, well, okay. okay. Uh, yeah, he did have some pretty dodgy politics. He was, you know, how certain ostensibly left-wing American liberals just kind of lose their shit at Bernie Sanders. Mm. He, he was kind of like one of those guys with Jesse Jackson when he ran for president, or more, or more like the kind of people who insist that Corbyn's anti-Semitic. He's got this song called "Good Morning, Mister Waldheim" or something, which mm. is, I think he was uh, Austrian president in the eighties. But um, it's just like an, a whole attack on Jesse Jackson for like meeting Farrakhan and stuff and uh jesus and, and he's like when you talk about common ground does that include the plo so um, <laughs> so <laughs> the guy like who was it paul what's his name who the founder of guido forks oh stains yeah paul stains a stain you on humanity more, like, like gun runner for the conference <laughs> yeah i just find that's so, like that's so completely overlooked completely overlooked i mean you know not to sort of underplay things but Corbyn stands next to someone faintly connected with Hezbollah and is continually called a terrorist sympathizer. And the yeah. Paul Stains, like, gun runs for, like, extreme right counter-revolutionaries. And it's, like, a funny joke for him. <laughs> I know, it's it's crazy. And he's, like, he's got no regrets about it. You know, he, he's, like, really into taking drugs and stuff. So he was just having a whale of a time the whole time. <laughs> he, he's, like, the acid house Tory. Jesus Christ. I have to think that you have that wild child idealistic phase, but that idealistic phase is to, like, defeat Daniel Ortega by all costs and, like, snort all the cocaine in Central America. That was his rebellious phase. That's before he became <laughs> the establishment or the, sort of the establishment's proven anti-establishment website. Yeah, but there, I mean, there has been a noted kind of change in the tone of Guido's reporting. It has gone from being kind of, oh, we're, we're these uh, outliers, uh, we're anti-establishment, to just licking Tory dick, like, just oh, God, constantly. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, that. I mean, they're a really, really bad site, and their, their comment section is just like going to a Britain First meeting. That's who they caught, that's where their web traffic comes from, and they're, they're unsavoury characters. So, sh- I mean, should we get cracking on this issue of the New Statesman and the rest of what has been happening in politics then? Yeah, I think we should just dive in straight on what the Statesman's saying and how that's been built up by everyone else. Yeah, so there's a new issue of the New Statesman out this week. It's called Wanted! An opposition. Special issue. The Labour Party has collapsed. A hard Brexit is looming. Who will speak for Liberal Britain? And it's got Kitchener 
pointing at you like on a World War One recruitment poster. But wanted, it's it, it's also, it's stylized like a sort of old West wanted poster. So it's a really. I mean, like, yeah, visually, it, it's really consistent and really brilliantly done. You know, it's a strange kind of like fucking like cow punk sort of like. I, 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 I see that's that's the style of music, but I didn't think steampunk was appropriate. It, no, it, it's, it's kind it, of yeah, cowpunk works. It's this bizarre juxtaposition of completely disparate styles in order to make a very bold point over and over and over again. Yeah, it's got about like five hundred billion people in here that's a scientific figure yeah i believe that's actually on the front helen lewis uh, in the new edition of the new statesman podcast which of course we are in direct competition with and you know i was just reading in the new statesman about the importance of market forces and i know competition is is good for the market so uh you know we may not be sponsored by square space and, and that's a thing that's been happening recently. I'm trying to bring square into the new lexicon for left. But, you know, I really do think we have something something a little more uh, substantive going on here. <laughs> but, but, what, but what I was saying, as Helen Lewis was saying in the new edition of the New Statesman podcast, that every man and his dog has got a piece in here. And indeed, every man has got a piece in here. Every From, from guys... To men, to dudes, there is a whole selection of people. A lot of uh, a lot of famous names on the cover, of which two are women. You know, from a feminist like Helen Lewis, it's it's curious. But on the other hand, there's no trans people in here to my knowledge so it which is i believe perha- she personally oversaw it is perhaps consistent with her general political outlook yeah so it begins with an editorial corbyn's failure is no excuse for fatalism so this kind of sets the narrative and have you have you read this kieran yeah i mean we start off swinging i mean from that first supposition of okay corbyn's failure so there's the first word, the first line established for the way things yeah. continue. Everything is built. Everything is predicated on that argument. Corbyn's failure. Yeah, it's a given. There's... No critical engagement, no debate, no discussion, no analysis, nothing. Absolutely nothing. It... That is the foundational point of this magazine. The position they're staking out is Corbyn has failed. And, I mean, in many ways, left-wing politics has failed. Where do we go from here? And my friends, where we go from here is liberalism, baby. We're going back to the (laughs) centre, baby. It's good again. Who will speak for liberal Britain? Well, I mean, I I don't recall that being the purpose of the Labour Party, to speak for liberal Britain, because uh, liberals were represented in Parliament long before the Labour Party really came to fruition in a meaningful way. What does liberal Britain really mean in this context? Like, woke Britain? 48%? White Britain? White liberal-leaning Britain that isn't... The poor white working class that took us out of Europe because they didn't know what was good for them. I mean, to give you some context for what liberalism means, there's no less than four current or former Liberal Democrat leaders who have contributed pieces to the New Statesman's latest issue. So you've got Farron, you've got Nick Clegg, you've got Ming Campbell, and uh, you've got Dr. Patty David Ashdown. Owen. 
Oh, Dr. David Owens in there as well, isn't he? Oh, yeah, but he's never been a member oh. of the Lib Dems. Well, he's SDP. I mean, he's obviously the worst kind of scab, but I'm not trying to say he's good simply because he's not in the Lib Dems, of course. Although he's actually weirdly one of the most sort of pro-Corbyn people in it. Yeah, it's <laughs> like... weird, but like he's also just for a laugh. I don't know if it's sort of senility or whatever, or just purely a dedication to being the most hated man across all the political <laughs> spectrum. But he's... All of a sudden, diehard anti-Europe. And yeah. he, he thinks Corbyn's a good guy. And, I, and he's just doing it to further lay on as much of this as possible. So people go, oh, fuck off David Owen and fuck <laughs> Corbyn as well. He's uh, a saboteur till the very end. Because, I mean, wasn't one of the reasons the Gang of Four left the Labour Party? Wasn't it because of Labour's increasing Euroscepticism? Yeah. That was one of their things. Oh, funny thing, actually. I was looking through the Kinnock papers today. And I found a really good letter from Shirley Williams to Michael Foote. A few exchanges, actually. Yeah. Which are really, really heartening, where um, <laughs> I think Kinnock said that they'd gone off for their own sort of glory, which they had. Yeah. And so Shirley Williams is going, well, actually, as you remember, Michael, we had a conversation with Dennis Healy. He didn't offer me anything, but he said that I might expect high office if I stayed in the party. And I left anyway, so don't say that I went off for my own glory. And then Michael Foote just replied with, yeah, but we didn't offer you anything. <laughs> we didn't offer you anything. You agree that yourself. Not at any point did we offer you anything. You went because you wanted to make the biggest noise possible. And Michael Foot signs it off with, and I know he's an appeasement candidate and not as great as perhaps we all might have thought, but he signs it off with, I think we're on the same page here, so I hope you won't repeat that again. <laughs> I mean, that's a classic seeing off in the great Labour left tradition. Oh, and he could see people off marvellously. He could. What was it he said? Who, who could ever believe a word David Owen said? That man sits in the Lords for services to the Conservative Party, <laughs> and, and he's certainly earned it. <laughs> and to be fair to Dennis Healy as well, who I am no friend of, there's that great bit in that actually quite good documentary about him where he's got this like little rubber figurine of David Owen. And he says, David Owen, when he was being made, he had the good fairy on his shoulder, who gave him charm, who gave him good looks, who gave him the ability to speak, who gave him prominence and intelligence and all that. And he says, just as he was about to leave, the bad fairy taps him on the shoulder and goes, you're going to be a shit. <laughs> just reviled by wow. everyone. Even someone like Dennis Healy couldn't fucking stand the man. I and mean, you just need to take a look at it. I know, I reckon some Tories might like him. Yeah, didn't he's done a lot for get them. Him in the cabinet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there you go. What, what is it? A government of all the talents. Yep. <laughs> all right, so in the New Statesman editorial, they do make several bold assertions. For example, I mean, we were just going through the Labour shadow cabinet. They claim Labour has the least impressive and least qualified front bench in its history, and that Labour's best and brightest MPs are unwilling to serve in the shadow cabinet. Fucking good riddance. They're not <laughs> the best and brightest in any way. I want them out of the party. I want them splitting away. Go! <laughs> Go, who, go, 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 go. So who are we missing? Who have been the, the best and the brightest who they're talking about? Because there's two consecutive articles in this issue of The New Statesman where they cite Tristram Hunt as somebody who's really, you know, potential leader of the opposition, has a real kind of handle on what's going on. This big enormous loss to British politics, this fucking 19th century, like, inbred duke 
He had no idea what he was doing there in the first place. He's fucking so lost, just like powdering his face, like with fucking like with shit that's like got arsenic in it, like posting early day motions to get Jerusalem to be the national anthem. Just complete fucking niche minor historian at Queen Mary who just talks about how the empire actually showed the brilliant development of trade or some fucking bullshit. <laughs> Comes in and thinks that like. Remember that the point where, I forget where it was 2015 or 2016, when he tried to comprehensively prove that the Labour Party had nothing in connection with Marxism. He was just like, well, actually, Kia Hardy was, uh, he was a Methodist. That's something <laughs> everyone knows. Like, he was a Methodist, so he founded the party, so there's <laughs> nothing socialist about Labour. That was what he went in with. And not well, I mean, of, that, of like, course, Labour has never been about various people. It's never been about the collective. It's always been about the individual. In, in yeah. fact, you could say that Labour under Keir Hardy was sort of proto-Thatcherite in its exaltation of the individual above all else. And not to mention Keir Hardy was not like a brilliant powerhouse politician. He was he's just the representative of the independent Labour Party, or whatever it was, some kind of fudge brought him together. He was not some brilliant ideologue that saw this dream for a united workers' party. The movement came from below. So that's the thing, when you're heralding the great men of Labour history, there's yeah. this belief that Kia Hardy must have been the very first to be chosen by the members to leave. Like, no, no, like, this all came about from the strength of the Labour movement, but that's just abandoned. That's not what we are anymore. No, absolutely. It's a Don't weird thing to think about that, isn't it? Really, yeah. like, for a party as big and as, I don't want to say broad, because uh, hearing broad church makes me feel physically fucking sick, because <laughs> it's the biggest horrible, like, cop-out of, yeah. oh, we are a broad church. No. It's never you, been. You can't have a broad church of competing ideologies. The left have always been marginalised, put on the outside, to various degrees. Due to various geopolitical factors at any one time. I mean, take, for example, the Attlee government, which was reformist on economic policy. But, I mean, for example, its nationalisations weren't kind of truly sort of democratic. They were quite kind of... Piecemeal. Yeah, they were quite bureaucratic. It wasn't a good model for nationalisation and of course on foreign policy and defence policy they were incredibly avowedly imperialist. Just to sort of give a shout out to my girlfriend who's doing exactly this for a dissertation. <laughs> the whole welfare state was predicated on the bomb. Yeah. The development of the atomic bomb which they gave as a gift in 1951 to the Conservative Party and Churchill himself <laughs> thanks Attlee from across the benches when he's Prime Minister again and he's Leader of the Opposition he says he wants to thank the Right Honourable Leader of the Opposition for the development of the atomic bomb which was done to much a def like nefarious manner in how they hidden it from the cabinet and hidden it from the party and hidden it from conference and went over and above themselves to make sure the bomb was founded so that peace could be secure and that they could actually found their welfare state from that. The Atlee government yeah. is, they did good things, no one's disputing that. But I think people see the Atlee government as radical, and it, it really wasn't. Yeah. Really, really wasn't. Owen Hathaway writes about this in his book, The Ministry of Nostalgia, about how this kind of spirit of 45 sort of notion. And in fact, he talks about the spirit of 45 and he says he thinks it's a good film, that it's a successful work of propaganda that gets its message across. But the, the notion of the spirit of 45, of this kind of 
collective spirit in Britain where we all kind of pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and built something out of nothing. But also with this radical spirit behind it, that we, for the first time, elected a majority Labour government to do everything differently. Yeah, absolutely, but that's almost become the left-wing version of this kind of keep-calm-and-carry-on kind of bollocks. Yeah. Um, I mean, another film that Hathaway cites as a counterpoint in the Ministry of Nostalgia is Tony Benn, Will and Testament, which he's quite scathing about. And you'll notice the poster of Tony Benn, Will and Testament, is even styled like a keep-calm-and-carry-on poster. Oh. So it's very much this idealised vision, and the left and the right both have their sort of own austerity nostalgia yeah it's conservative in its own way oh there are a few things as poorly understood as the 1945 general election no one knows a fucking thing about what came immediately before it how it was triggered what the setup was like there's this idea that Atlee was our great leader and Atlee was no leader that wasn't his thing he was a manager he was good at pushing people to the right places managing yeah. people managing people's problems but he was no statesman he was the guy who kept the country running in the war. But I think yeah. he was known, but it wasn't a whole new Labour government because they had the apparatus of the national government to themselves while Churchill went out and fought the war. All of it is just completely misunderstood as this big old landslide and through came nationalisation and the NHS and the post-war consensus, and that was that. But I think that fallacy was allowed to continue right up until the point that Thatcher came in and swept that away. And then because we'd done nothing in that time because we thought, you know, we had a land of plenty and that reformism was the way that we could actually deliver change. Everything got swept away pretty fucking quickly. And now we still look to reformism to get us out of the mess we're in. There's a limit to what you can do. Yeah. I mean... Um, yeah, you can't reform a system that's completely broken. But I think I mean, because we think that the system's there to be reformed, we're always going to fall into that trap. Well, not, not us. Like, yeah. we're, we're speaking for a particular audience here, like... I don't think anyone listening to that thinks that. We know that it's going to take a little bit more than just managing the system we have. Yeah. But that brings us back onto who, uh, who speaks for liberal Britain. Yeah, the New Statesman in the new episode of their podcast, they talk about their intentions with this new issue. And Jason Cowley, their editor, explains how... It's a fantastically interesting moment. The, the Prime Minister's invoking Article 50, and we're playing our part, doing our bit with this special issue. <laughs> so, And my God, they do their bit. Yeah, they do their bit to aid Theresa May's project. And, of course, Cowley is, I would say, quite a Theresa May enthusiast. He's done a very, very softball interview with her, which effectively reads like a Conservative Party press release. I mean, you have the new Prime Minister, the new underprepared Prime Minister in front of you, and you don't challenge her on a thing. Yeah, Not he, a thing. Yeah, it's very telling how he's kind of like, I want to hear about your outlook, just to explain it to me, and he lets her pretty much explain things as they exist in her world. And he would not extend that same generosity to Corbyn. I mean, I think it says a lot about Cowley and some of the other journalists of the New Statesman that they just simply, they've never been able to see Corbyn and his movement as remotely credible. It's never seemed to them like something which is serious politics. 
and they've never thought, okay, we need to kind of adjust our editorial line in line with this development on the left and maybe have a couple more left-wing writers. I mean, they have Michael Chesham from the AWL, the Alliance for War and Liberalism. And (laughs) the AWL are fucking weird. Like, they sabotage left-wing candidates' chances of getting on in by-elections, like uh, Sammy Wheeler and Gorton. John McTernan turns up to their meetings. Nick Cohen has praised them. They, like, printed pictures of the Prophet Muhammad in their newspaper. And, like, (laughs) if any of them are listening, can I just say this now? Stop fucking emailing me. I signed up in first year. I didn't know what you were about. You were on the like, you had the table outside Kings, and I signed up. I thought, yeah, you know, I'll get into student policy. This sounds good. Work is liberty. Great, yeah. And they rang me fucking every week, trying to drag me to shit up in Bloomsbury. They rang they you. Still, yeah, yeah, yeah. They rang me and rang me and rang me and rang me. Like, I don't know what I fucking signed up to. Eventually, I just stopped answering their calls, and they still email me every well, fucking week. Well, the AWL actually, or Workers' Liberty anyway, their publication actually, follow me on Twitter. Uh, I, I no longer follow them. I, and I, <laughs> I, I, ju- I just want to issue this message in case they happen to listen to the show. Generally, I'm not one for witch hunts against trots in a left-wing party like Labour, but I do fully advocate your organisation being prescribed and your influence within labor and momentum negligible as it is rooted out and crushed rooted out so there is nothing more <laughs> nothing yeah. more remaining of your utterly fucking malign organization nothing left of your bastardized weird half-baked rcp ideology <laughs> jumping on to like every internationalist cause because you read homage to catalonia when you were 16 <laughs> read some effing orwell mate <laughs> read some effing orwell. and of course simon hedges obviously uh, designed the cover of a special issue of the new statesman here and it bears his hallmarks every last detail of it <laughs> i mean sometimes you think has he gone too far but then it gets published nationally he's never gone too far no but in fact i mean it's pretty outrageous but they didn't call him up to do a bit in this to be honest yeah it's a shame really i think he would really complete this whole sort of thing because he stands for exactly what they're going for i mean maybe not actually i think what smacked me about this issue is as you were saying before how they've never treated this thing as a serious movement no what they treat as their ideal movement from the broad swathe of the articles they put across is this very obamaite bipartisanship of you know we can all work together there's nothing wrong with the uh, you know sort of liberally minded Tory you work with. There's nothing wrong with the Lib Dem. He just wants the best for his community. You know, like you're on the Labour right. Yeah, you don't need to be accountable to the unions. You're doing your own thing. And this like this that fucking god awful Robert Harris piece. Oh god, yeah, I, I read that. Wasn't he uh, saving Labour a few months yeah, ago? Yeah, yeah. He gave up on that, didn't he? Now he's going to vote for the Lib Dems. Yeah. Some of our great political leaders have crossed the floor, but it takes courage. It takes courage to be a fucking scab and a traitor <laughs> and to stab your fucking party in the back. Really, okay. Okay, Robert Harris. <laughs> I think courage. that chimes with um, Alistair Campbell's latest pronouncement because, of course, this is all linked. Yeah. All of it, every last fucking detail of it. Everything you read in this is going to dominate the media agenda for the next week. Because they all know each other. Madison yeah. was saying every day he does something to undermine Corbyn, whether it's a phone call or an email or speaking at like fucking like Portland 
comms CIA joint <laughs> summit or something. Like, I, I don't know. But yeah, they, they all talk to each other. They'll all be getting... The, you know, people talk. They'll all well, be getting Well, Alistair Campbell's going to work for the government. Yeah. Fucking, he goes on Question Time and he calls out McDonald and he tries to be the big fucking bully as he always has been. He's going to work yeah. for the government. Didn't McDonald call him a fucking asshole backstage with that? <laughs> yeah. Because he, like, came at him and started saying, you're destroying our party. And McDonald was just like, fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> And the way he comes out today going, you know what? Maybe I'm just getting a bit bored of tribalism. Yeah, he said, I've never felt less tribal. It's like, good, fuck off and join the Tories then, you fucking... <laughs> yeah, great, sci- you found your fucking you home ground. Fucking scientist murdering cunt. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> scientist and cabinet minister. Yes. We are yes. past the statute of limitations <laughs> here. Connect the dots, people. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so there's some absolute gold in this Robert Harris piece. He's like, we don't have a Jenkins or an Owen, and I for one am fucking thanking Christ for that. There doesn't seem to be anyone of comparable stature. But even still, I wish there was somewhat of such fucking delusion. I mean, I wish (laughs) one of these fucking self-absorbed fucks like a Mooner or Phillips or whatever... So high off the spell of their own fucking farts that they just want to go for it and go, I'm going to be a Macron. I'm going to be a Roy (laughs) Jenkins. I'm going to somehow defeat the two-party system that's governed this country for the last 300 years. And I'm going to be prime minister with my new bullshit party about nothing. Yeah, they're like, oh yeah, Labour's dead. But the problem is, this first past the post. It's like, then it's not fucking dead, is it? It's still going to make up, like, a massive swathe of parliament, and we might as well make use of that. It's fucking ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, like, say it quietly, and collapsed. people more on the sort of the electoral side of the party won't want to hear this, but guys, let's just keep it good for the next few years, build the party back up, first past the post ain't going anywhere, we'll find ourselves in power. A party cannot stay in power for 20, 25 years. People are saying, like, 2030, 2035. And, I mean, like, I think things are going on a bad trajectory, but, I mean, that's just incredible, like, consistency. (laughs) I mean, has anyone ever, like, seen from history what happens when Tories get complacent? I mean, like, there's exceptions. Like, some people do win elections in a free and fair manner over and over again, like Robert Mugabe. But (laughs) on the the other (laughs) hand... But, but I just, I mean, I just can't see the Tories being in power for that long because they're fucking awful. Super injunctions are expensive. (laughs) You can't hide that shit forever. Things will keep coming out and keep coming out because they are, to their core, the degenerate working class. Oh, Christ, no, Christ, (laughs) degenerate ruling class. Yeah, degenerate ruling class, and they will eventually be found out in their time while they're in office, for what they are. Be that corruption, be that a sex scandal, be that bumping someone off because they knew too much. (laughs) One of them will get caught. It's going to be electoral fraud mixed with noncing, I think. Yeah. If them driving a teenager to suicide doesn't, like, take the gene (laughs) off them yet... Imagine what it's going to be like when we've left the European Union and the economy's gone up to shit. Even the media aren't going to take that anymore. Even the media aren't going to bury a story about a teenager being pressured into killing themselves by one of David Cameron's friends. Even they're not going to overlook that in the way that they did. Well, I mean, that's going to be great. Especially not with a real de facto leader of the opposition installed at the Evening Standard, Mr. Osborne there. Oh, no, he will hold the government to account. And one thing I think I can agree with my friend and idol, 
even George Eaton. <laughs> I think we can agree that no proprietor would have done this if it wasn't for Jeremy Corbyn. I, I mean, this is entirely Jeremy Corbyn's fault. 100% like... What was it today that was Corbyn's fault? The uh, NHS. The NHS the crisis Union. was Corbyn's fault. Yeah, leaving the European Union obviously was, although, as we know, it was actually objectively Tim Farron who did Brexit. Yeah, um, I mean, I was amazed. Like, he single-handedly wrote the Article 50 bill. He doesn't even need to. He's not, he's not in the government. But, it's, it's, my I God, mean, he wanted to. That guy, like, the Lib Dems, as the journalists are always saying, they have an incredible work ethic, just always answering the phone, always texting. So you know, slick. It's, I mean, almost, it's almost like they're lonely. It's almost like they're yeah. desperate for somebody to get in touch and ask for their miserable, worthless opinions. And he wrote it in five minutes. He got rang up by the government. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I've got yeah, that yeah. Before oh, oh sorry, Marie Lacan's here. Like, I've got to go. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think Corbyn's a shambles. I think he's clear that he can't be the leader of the opposition. Same line. Same line every time. And people think it's fucking amazing. They've got some fucking dullard sat in their offices ready to come back with that every time. They have the same line every time. Yeah, That's I mean, not they, hard. They've ruled out an electoral pact or a coalition with Labour. But they certainly haven't with the Tories. Yeah, they've, they've they said they do it in the national himself. interest again. And that is the kind of great idea. Tim Farron and Nick Clegg have both sounded from their contributions in this issue of New Statesman open to the idea of a new centrist party being formed. And there was that idea that George Osborne was floating around the time of the Remain side's loss in the EU referendum, which he pitched to Lib Dem MPs, including Farron, and to Labour MPs, which is a new centrist party called the Democrats. Because we know that parties called the Democrats that position themselves in the centre ground are lean, mean, election-winning machines. (laughs) And who was behind him? Who Who was behind George Osborne? Was it Mandy? It was Mandy. Is Mandy into it? He's yeah, been so, like he's me. been like so close with Osborne for years now. Osborne used to write about it while he was chancellor. He's like yeah. he doesn't do fucking anything at the treasury. He's swanning about with Peter Mandelson trying to plot things for fun. He just gets off on this like House of Cards style ascension, and I think I... this like super dream now is that he's going to ride in on this new party. No, yeah. it's it's just uh, no. You know what? Go for it. Go for it, George. You know, get the Centre for Global Studies or whatever in fuck's name it's called. Get Tony Blair in. Get Jim Murphy in. You know, get Nicky Morgan in. Get, you know, bring a Stephen Crabb, a Sajid Javid. Yeah. You know, get Tristram Hunt, get Chukra Muna. Sadiq Khan. Sadiq Khan. Who Mandelson is currently working as an advisor for on Brexit. Get Um, Tim Farron. Get Nick Clegg. And you know what? Go to the electorate. Go to the electorate. Go to Rochdale. Go to fucking Sunderland. And I'm not picking (laughs) these out of sounds because they're shit. I mean, like, go to Derby. Go to Grimsby. Go to anywhere. Anywhere in the country. Take your style of politics. Go onto the doorstep. And just, you know, see what happens. See what happens. I think detaching that smug bullshit from recognisable brands would not really do many favours. And I just find it incredible that George Osborne, the architect of so much pain, the man who has left a trail of blood and tears behind him as he's just steamrolled his way through the country's finances, making sure to absolutely flatten the most vulnerable in society, how he is 
in any way considered to be on the liberal progressive side of things. I I mean, I'm surprised when you statesman didn't get him writing for this issue, actually. But oh, no, I, I fucking love it. I mean, like, he's got <laughs> full Heseltine. I mean, he's got, like, everyone just going, he's a talented guy. You yeah. know what? George Osborne is a talented guy. It was not two years ago that he was the byword for the overprivileged, fucking insufferable, talentless, openly malevolent scumbag at the heart of Cameron's government. Yeah. He was fucking hated. Absolutely. He was... And I think he still is by most people. Yeah, he is by most people, but you just watch the way the fucking Labour right bend to him now. Yeah. Just by virtue of just going, I'm going to make a stay in Europe, given that we're leaving. You had Polly Toynbee and you had Zoe Williams saying, oh, we might end up agreeing with him. It's like, fucking speak for yourself. Um, Yeah, of course. If you agree with him, just fucking say you agree with him. Yeah, and for the real opposition, much like that much-trumpeted, great progressive hope, Anna Subri, Subs, who is is interviewed in George Eaton's long read in this issue, and says she's open to the idea of a new centrist party. Her and George Osborne have both voted with the Conservatives every single time in this parliament. Apart from, you know, I'm sure the fucking bills they've missed when they've just been swanning around doing Tory shit. (laughs) That we can't legally say. Yeah, just depraved kind of, you know. Dolphin square shit. (laughs) We can say that. It's not saying anything. (laughs) (laughs) Phil Collins, the famous uh, gorilla, has (laughs) contributed a piece called How Liberal became a political insult, which I don't think even touches on the fact that liberal is a political insult on the left. He lumps Corbyn and Sanders in with liberalism, not realising that ask any Sanders or Corbyn supporter, and they'll tell you that liberals are just the bane of their fucking existences, trying to further any kind of progressive idea. You have some liberal cunt coming out and saying, well, you know, public opinion is actually this kind of fixed, static thing, so we can't ever argue for what is right. We need to argue for what is fair what, what is, is understood cu- what, what is, is currently center ground um, i love it i just love it so much i love this complete belief that nothing changes i love that i love like the right grasp it the right understand that you can move an argument to the right you can move it in your favor and yeah. then it's just like these sort of dullards in the center who are just like how can you move it it's there it's yeah, like, exactly. No, you're but, moving with it because well, you have no convictions. They determined scientifically where the centre ground was, didn't they, in a Fabian Society report earlier this year. Yeah. And the centre ground is somewhere between Tony Blair and Donald Trump. Boom. Incidentally, you've seen Blair hardening his rhetoric recently on immigrants, on trans people, I think. Blair made some like weird comment about like trans identity politics, which just made him sound like... I mean, he doesn't really need anything to make him sound like a fucking abhorrent. Yeah, you forget he's in his mid-60s, though, and that sort of reminds you. If he's gone further to the right, then, and the centre ground is between Blair and... That, that's the Conservative Party. That's yeah. all of the right wing. That's what the Fabians approve with that report. Yeah. So what they're saying is, the Conservative <laughs> Party are the centre ground. But the centre yeah, ground doesn't move. So... But the, the Conservative Party haven't moved with it, so they haven't got to their own conclusion there. They're standing there going, hmm, well, that doesn't quite make sense, but we did say it, so... But but it doesn't move? So at, at some point, the Fabians 
are going to, for the first time in their 150-year-old history, realise just how flawed their fucking logic is and how found out they've been since day one. I'm getting so sectarian. Yeah, and this honestly. like this new statesman thing and like this big push that's come out of it of this where's the opposition horse shit is just oh god, how am I ever gonna cure myself of this? Do I want to? Is it possible? Or am I just gonna like spend my life going apoplectic at these people? I mean, it's interesting when the new statesmen and stuff, I mean, they rarely acknowledge it, to be fair, because they probably realise that they can't talk. But when they talk about, yes, Corbyn will always face hostility, or any Labour leader will always face hostility from the right-wing press, it's like, yeah, but you're part of that right-wing <laughs> press. So when Helen Lewis is talking about how every man and, and his dog is in this issue, she says, in fact, but also some uh, surprising voices from the right... It's like, Helen, I, I, I'm sorry to break it to you, there's nothing surprising about the new statesman giving the oxygen of publicity, to use a Tory phrase, <sighs> to fucking Tories. It's like what Michael Heseltine thinks, that Corbyn's not the right man? I mean, who, who could possibly have thought this? And Caroline Lucas is... Yeah, she avoids really directly criticising Corbyn. But I think she's in line for a formal condemnation. I think it's yeah. time we wave bye-bye to the green dream and say, fuck the lot of you. If you're in the Green Party, you consider yourself a socialist, I'll say. If you're in the Greens just because your politics centre around environmentalism, it's probably the right place for you. Yeah. But although we do need that in the Labour Party, I will say, so yeah, if you, do, come if on you do have good politics, come on in. But if you do consider yourself a radical leftist, a socialist, an anti-capitalist at this point, and you're in the Green Party, I mean, it's just clearly a markedly less viable choice for a radical in 2017. Yes, like, what the fuck it, are you doing? Like, are you that an... committed to the legalised cannabis policy? Yeah. That, like, <laughs> don't get me wrong, get I the think Labour... I think Labour should be adding that to their platform. <laughs> yeah, but that's the ultimate policy that, as an adult, you don't really want to go to town on. But, like, yeah. it, everyone knows that you should. But, like, yeah. if you're really passionate about it, then, like, why can't you pick up? Well, I, <laughs> like, I mean... <laughs> if you really want it, like, legalise that badly. Yeah, that's true. It's not too hard to get, I'm told. <laughs> <laughs> but but I do actually think that the reform of drug policy is something that Bergen could maybe go for as Shadow Justice Secretary. It could mm. be an er area to look into because Britain does have quite an iniquitous legal system in that way. But yeah, you're right. If somebody is going with the Greens because they're solid on the weed issue, I do think that that's a rather so it's sort of myopic take on politics but sort of your eyes are a bit glazed yeah sort of. um, <laughs> but at the same time i think it you're staying in the green party and they have had somewhat of an exodus of more radical members since corbyn became labor leader and so what's left is a bunch of sort of more liberal people basically who aren't prepared to slog it out in long sectarian battles with blairites and old labor right people but i mean <laughs> like, like if you can choose why would you choose that i think we have we know now this is our fight for the rest of our lives if you can keep away from that then fair enough but the Greens who should have fucking affiliated from day one not from yeah. day one but from the day that Corbyn came in I think that rumour that went round about Caroline Lucas being shadow environmental sex that would have been great that would have been I great that would have been a sign that idea. we can work with people we'll just take them in we'll take the radical members and we'll grind out their liberal ones until we sort of mush them down into the kind of paste that you make chicken nuggets out of and yeah. then you just push them over to the Lib Dems and 
that's the Lib Dem surge. These hopeless, like, political nomads <laughs> that really, really want to legalise cannabis. <laughs> Some person at the Diane Abbott talk I saw yesterday got very angry because basically it might have been them who asked Diane Abbott it or it might have been somebody else. But they said, are you afraid of the Liberal Democrats? And she just went, no. <laughs> And this person in the audience was like, could you elaborate on what Labour can do for somebody who's maybe considering defecting to the Liberal Democrats? And I'm like, you're better off defecting to ISIS. Like, off like, you go. Fuck, just, just fuck you if you're even considering that at this point. You've got the most pro-immigration, the most pro-multiculturalism, the most uh, pro-racial equality MP in front of you, pro-European, long before most people on the left adopted a pro-EU standpoint. You've got this kind of perfect person if you really care about those issues in front of you. And but you don't, yeah. You're yapping at her that you're going to join Tim Farron's little... But not even that, you want to tell her. You want to deliberate and tell her. See, I see the soft left as co-conspirators. I see the modernizers as vacuous and cruel. I see the old labor right as the enduring enemy that we're never going to have to, like... We're going to have to vanquish at some point, but we're never going to stop fighting them. And I see the conservatives as ideological enemies. Yeah, I don't see a liberal as fucking anything. (laughs) Anything. Like, just the dirt worst absolutely nothing for them no semblance of intelligence or understanding or grasp of the world or what it needs or what it can help or what it can do nothing nothing and i think that brings us on to quite a fascinating bit in jason cowley's editor's note the stench of decay and failure coming from the labor party is now overwhelming in which he says And again, a lot of the direction that he has very consciously been steering the new statesman in over the last few days is really indicative of where Jason Cowley is coming from as a person. So he says, in the 1970s, as those who would later be called Thatcherites, are you talking about yourself there, mate? (laughs) Set about dismantling the post-war consensus and creating a new economic settlement. The sense of intellectual ferment was thrilling. There is no... He's just frothing at the dick. It's like he's got another 5,000 word load of nothing from Dan Jarvis. (laughs) There is no comparable sense of intellectual excitement on the Corbynite left. It's as if Corbyn has nothing of substance to say. This is the editor of the New Statesman saying this. Pushing around that old revolutionary fallacy that Thatcher brought the new economic settlement when Dennis Healy cut public spending far more than she could have ever dreamed of. If you still pretend that Thatcher didn't do anything other than completely consolidate capitalism and the capitalist class, instead of like bringing this new swashbuckling ideology to the country, which, which she didn't, which was perpetually in decline from after 1979, Vote share fell every year after 1979. Consensus wasn't brought about other than in the press who said that it was. And people like Jason Cowley, products of that time, will go now and look at the revolutionary further of Thatcher. Look at the change that was brought about from that. No, we should be pushing for similar change. We should unashamedly be saying that what we demand is nothing less than the complete transformation of the British state from what it was into what it can be in such a way that it could never be brought back. And that's, you know, it's a scary message to say out there, but that's what we should be asking for. But don't say that was Thatcher. And I think that the comment 
shows, I mean, Cowley's resolute ignorance of what's happening on the left and what has been happening for a couple of years now. And of course, the editorial direction of the New Statesman has always indicated that. I mean, for example, he in the podcast goes to lengths to say, you know, but it's not just New Statesman voices, it's uh, there's voices from the radical left as well. And of course, the two names he cites and the only two that are in here are Paul Mason and Billy Bragg. So, oh, you know, yeah. that's, Billy Bragg. that's a really far left firebrand that no one wants. Say it, Loki, so... I, I, I can't listen to him. I can't listen to Billy Bragg. Yeah, he puts his cards on the table. He's like, I'm a socialist, I'm a folky. Here's some very left-wing music. I mean, I, I quite like him, to be honest. I, I don't know if he's written anything of consequence. Uh, I don't know. His, in, his in version while. of the Internationale makes my skin crawl a little bit. Well, Soviet one's so much better. Like, the English translation of the Hymn of the USSR being the greatest thing ever written. Yes. I, I don't say that as someone who is a Stalinist, and I want to go on record and say that right now, but... I could listen to that all day, and I could be so proud of the nation that Lenin and Stalin built, and that I could want to bring it back, rising like Atlantis, just <laughs> out of the strength of that. Oh my god, it's so good. With Paul Robeson singing it as well, it has an effect. It has an effect, and Billy Bragg's International is a little bit clunky, a little bit student riots. Mm. I liked it, I used to like it. I used to think, oh, I know the words, the Internationale. When I was like fourteen, fifteen, yeah. and then you'd like you get through to the oldie timey version, <laughs> yeah. thinking about the international Soviet, and nah, it's it's I a do, whole different beast. I do think freedom is merely privilege extended and less enjoyed by one and all is a good line. Yeah, I, I like that. How, one. But I think that's a good message because you know it's anti-freedom. And that's what I'm all about. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Fuck we hate liberalism. <laughs> I, I mean, I kind of do like freedom of speech. I no longer give a shit about it. Like, I just want a like state-controlled left-wing media, mm. like, no right-wing opposition. So. You can want freedom of speech <laughs> and want your own Stasi. You know, like yeah. So that's kind of the base I operate from. You have the right to say whatever you want. We have the right to have militias that beat you senseless for it. That's what I call my social contract. <laughs> so, so Cowley talks about how the Corbynite movement has nothing to say, and Corbyn has failed even on his own terms. But I would suggest that Jason Cowley's knowledge of the kind of thought going on on the actual left at the moment seems limited to Paul Mason and Billy Bragg. He might not really know what Corbyn's terms are. And Cowley also seems to be talking about an opportunity for some kind of realignment. I think we said before, you, you said it's effectively like they've declared open war on the left. Yeah. On, on Corbyn's leadership. And indeed, they're making that quite clear. They're talking about an opportunity for some kind of realignment. And of course, we need to mention again, this issue is their reaction to Article 50. So <laughs> now's yeah, their push. The real about, fight starts now. Yeah, they're talking about opposition by while the government is doing a major thing, writing a whole issue attacking the other smaller party. Attacking the party they hold up to have performed opposition by consent. So that's the conceit behind all of this. They argue that voting in accordance with what the British people as a whole voted for in June 2016, that is complicity with the government. But yeah. sabotaging any prospect of the largest opposition party and the leading opposition party in our parliament to stymie in any way the conservative proposals for leaving the European Union, that's revolutionary. Somehow. Yeah. Somehow in this twisted fucking logic, that's your revolutionary act. Further intensifying the relentless attacks the party has received from every corner of the media 
and cementing yeah. the fact that for this large base of people, which, you know, it's worth saying time and time again, the largest base of people to ever vote for one single party leader in this country's history, the biggest popular ascent to leadership on any given platform in British history, they don't have an outlet. They don't yeah. have a voice. Nothing. Every last outlet is now set against taking this leadership down. Yeah, and the New Statesman is very plainly saying it's not as the Daily Mail describe it in their byline of Philip Cowley's column that he does for the Mail. Sorry, Jason Cowley. Philip Cowley's another slug. They're not the House Journal of the Left anymore. They're not the Labour Bible. They're a liberal publication, a non-aligned liberal publication. And that means fucking anything. Because now yeah. we have liberal conservatives. Now that's an yeah. understood thing. Yeah, George Osborne and Anna Subri are now apparently good. As I say, George Osborne, nobody has inflicted more pain and suffering on a wider amount of people in this country than that, that man in years. And uh, The liberal I... Tory grandee is John Major's Chancellor Ken Clark. Yeah, there you go. Like, that's Wait. the ideological basis they have here. Oh, actually, no, their intellectual godfather is Tony Blair. And if well, it comes yeah. <laughs> back to this, like the whole conceit that Labour was Labour even when it was Blair, everyone's just abandoning that now. Liberal and non-aligned means big old space for someone to jump in and try and organise their own party. And you know what I say, God, all power to them. Godspeed. Another example, I think, of how Jason Cowley has absolutely no idea of the kind of discourse that's happening on the left. He has no idea of the dialectic right now. Oh, he has no grips with the dialectic whatsoever. He's completely adrift from actual conversations that are happening outside of this circle that includes Tories, that includes Lib Dems, rather than in people who you and I would consider to be on the left. So he says the Labour leaders, left-wing media cheerleaders, have... They're fuck all of them anyway. Like, have one by one given up on him. Charlotte Church, Christ. that bastion of the Corbyn movement, who I don't think has ever actually been a member of the Labour Party. No, I don't think so either. Caitlin Moran, who oh, writes for the dear. Times, Fucking is God. very reactionary. Owen Jones, <laughs> Kieran, friend, friend and comrade. <laughs> Zoe Williams. Of we might end up agreeing with George Osborne fame. George Monbiot, who like wrote one pro Corbyn article and the rest of the time just like cuts up roadkill on Newsnight. <laughs> All invested considerable hope in Corbyn. I think a lot of those people like were either very marginal in the movement or never had any fucking belief in it anyway. Who has not turned out to be the inspirational leader for whom they yearned. Even Simon Fletcher who masterminded Corbyn's leadership camp. I love how Simon Fletcher gets, like, all the fucking credit for, like, every success Corbyn's ever had now. Like, oh, God, yeah, his, like, demise has led to him being, like, the horsed vessel of this whole movement. Of yeah. Simon Fletcher fell so that we could all redeem ourselves. And they, they his can't... banner and his flag, we will take back the leadership. Yeah, I mean, so this is just in the second piece in the New Statesman. They got the editorial, then they got the editor's note. Because they had to ram the point home twice. Oh, and interestingly, in their letters page, I think I should read their letter of the week, which is called Think Again, Labour. Your, yeah. <laughs> Your leader is correct. And this doesn't mean Corbyn 
this is leader as in editorial <laughs> the divisions within labor 24th of march if labor is ever to win another election it must remain capable of appealing to a majority of voters that is indeed my friend how elections work thank you Oh, wow. I mean, can someone bring him in for, like, syphology or something? Like, this guy yeah. seems really, really talented. Like, wow. That's how elections work? What? Yeah. <laughs> the starting point must be to hold 1980s-style infighting and learn from the successes of Brexit, Trump and Le Pen with their vote-winning calls to control immigration and protect national jobs. Right then. Okay. Letter of the week right here. An increasing range of Labour MPs from the centre to the left, such as Chukaramuna, Andy Burnham, Stephen Kinnock and John Crudas, of whom not one could legitimately be described as left wing. Now understand, they understand because it's a fact that the free movement of people in the EU has to be replaced by managed migration, whatever the fuck that means. What Labour hasn't grasped, however, is that central to the far right's success has also been its promise to protect domestic jobs. Of course, Labour has no pro-jobs, pro-industry policies at all. I mean, if there has been one thing that's been the hallmark of Corbyn's whole thing, it's that we fucking hate jobs. (laughs) You know, fuck jobs. You know, if you're in a job now, no matter what job it is, you should feel incredibly insecure if Labour come to power. Because, like, like... we are dead against supporting you. (laughs) He's like, let's fucking skip straight to fully automated luxury communism, a post-work world, without the fucking transitional period where the technology gets really good. <laughs> let's just end work. Can I use this yeah. point to say, please follow me, Aaron? Please. I know you're listening. <laughs> he we will. Gave, we he... threw you that carrot. Come on in. <laughs> yeah, I'll know the it's... sign in the sky when Tom and Yair get it first. We're it's, waiting it's at a... my phone, shaking. <laughs> So if the letter continues, one way for Labour to win again would be to address these twin concerns of immigration and domestic job losses. Yes, what a great idea. Let's explicitly link immigration and people losing their jobs. A fantastic suggestion. I mean, who remembers the stunning victory we had at the 2010 general election? Yeah. I mean, like, the efficacy of that tactic was (laughs) jaw-dropping. Absolutely incredible. We did that and, poof, what do you know? The North, the South, Scotland... All united under one flag. British jobs for British workers. Mate, when the BMP say it, they mean it. (laughs) (laughs) To quote one of their party political broadcasts. But yeah, anyway, a Europe-wide shift to controlling EU borders via a treaty of home would help. Without a bold rethink, the future of Europe could be one dominated by the extreme right. We've been here before. And of course, nothing about the policy plan outlined in that letter suggests dominated by the extreme right. Nothing at all. That's like literally fighting fascism with fascism. That's like, listen, you could have someone like fucking Gert Wielders come into power in Holland or you could have Marine Le Pen win in France and you've got Donald Trump in America. Shit, we need to ban Muslims soon or we're going to lose control as well. Let's go one further. Let's put them in camps. (laughs) Because we might fall prey to the far right. I mean, literally, you do have centrist politicians like Angela Merkel who are held up as the great sort of force for liberal good. I think because Germany is a country that's 
in the EU, and she's talking about burka bans. Mm. <laughs> so that's the frightening situation we're in. Oh, if they I hate think... her, they're going to fucking hate us when we take the borders down. <laughs> oh, man, when we just get that old magic eraser out and just scrub it all off. They are going to Come on us. in, folks. <laughs> we've, we've got, got UBI, jobs. we've got healthcare, we've got a national education system. And we you can have it all. all. You want to take your money home? Go for it. Go for it. Take it. It's yours. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we should talk briefly about George Eaton's long read, because he's contributed a sort of centerpiece article to this issue, in which he... I mean, it's really... It's classic George Eaton. I'll say that. It's got everything you'd expect from a George Eaton piece. I mean, factual inaccuracies. I mean, j- j- everything. Brilliant prose. Like, so he said in the piece that Terry Murphy, Corbyn's office manager, was Len McCluskey's partner in a romantic sense. Not true. Apparently they're just good friends. So I don't know if a print edition carries that misnomer. But Well, Eaton I hope d- he gets did... used to editing things on the website. Yeah. <laughs> what is it you've heard recently in the corridors of Power, Kieran? The certain rumour that's floating around? Nothing. I've heard absolutely nothing. oh you can keep that cackle in as well (laughs) you can keep that one right in i mean i've sometimes looked at the new statesman website and thought what this really needs is a kind of new safe pair of hands to sort of uh, you know get things back on track you know somebody from a liberal center somebody who isn't afraid to publish information but might not necessarily be true someone who can like... tap into the young people you know like i think you know what i think it's time we came out with it now the real yep. politic podcast fully 100 percent, wholeheartedly supports mary lacan the political editor of the new statesman <laughs> it's probably gonna happen oh god i've just thought is Helen Lewis going to get promoted to political editor if, if, if this thing that, that we haven't said is, is going to happen? She just brings in Julie Bindle and they declare war. <laughs> They've got fucking Jermaine Greer in here. <laughs> it would not be an issue of the New Statesman without one of Helen Lewis's turf mates. <laughs> <laughs> like whether it's fucking Gloss Witch or Sarah Dittam or I mean, who else? There's a bunch of them, aren't they? And all just uniquely kind of hateful just stuffed with prejudice for this one group of people. Get your male prejudice out of our gender. God, that'd be a dark, dark day. And I mean, a darker day than this issue is for the left. I mean, she's old Labour right, Labour first in terms of the way she thinks, and has just the most sort of backwards, repugnant views towards an incredibly marginalised group of people that really don't need the kicking that you and your platform can give them. And everyone who lets her get out of it. Jason Cowley just giving her free reign to publish this shit. I mean, I don't imagine he has any kind of sensitivity for trans issues. And I just think it's really repugnant at this point. It's on such a regular basis. And in fact, I do find the way that they just, they treat the Conservative Party as just so much more credible than a left-wing party 
advocating humane, decent. I don't want to be one of those kind of logic and reason wankers, but mm. kind of quite workable policies. Yeah. Um, they cannot throw their weight behind that, but they see it was the same when Cameron and Osborne were in power. The new statesmen, every time they put a budget out, George Eaton uh, sort of stroking his chin. The, the, you know, the Tories really seem to have uh, colonised the centre ground this time. You know, I really do think the, the Conservative Party are the real party of socialism in the UK. Oh, some go but that not... far, the others just sort of go, interesting. Yeah, oh, that's, ca- oh, that's Cowley. Oh, that, 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 that could be something. Oh, they want to see it work. You know, they yeah. want to see this conservative vision for Britain where all supposed wings of thought are brought under that of the ruling class, of the capitalist class. They want to see that click, you know, because fuck knows, their money's going to go through the roof. Their Absolutely. influence goes through the roof. I mean, we've really seen since the referendum, if you didn't already know why Remain lost, I mean, for various reasons, but one of them was that it is just this elite motivated in their europhilia by their belief in uninhibited capital. And there's like, yeah. Corbyn made the right decision and McDonald made the right decision not to associate themselves with that shit show of a campaign. Just this kind of like hedge fund manager dream. Karen Brady and June Sarpong. Up on fucking stage and Peter Mandelson. Yeah, Mandelson sharing platforms of Tories, Sadiq Khan sharing platforms with other Tories. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't think that's why people elected him, because he constantly is like, unions, fuck <laughs> <laughs> This is London. London is open. <laughs> London is open to all the banks, all the corporations. I am absolutely um, it all of his stance of freedom of movement, but just for London. I think that for a mayor, that's fucking ballsy. He will admit that it's probably okay to go to the fucking provinces and be like, yeah, you know what? You don't need a Polish community around here. Let's toughen it up. Let's harass and beat these people in detention centres on the coast. But for London, he's just like free labour. Oh, keep it coming. <laughs> and they're going to keep them on deals that keeps them below minimum wage. They're going to live in bed sits, 12 to 1 bed. And we are going to keep this city moving. Like, fair play, Sadiq Khan. You have been (laughs) everything, everything that I thought you would be. Complete, like, fucking slug with too much power. Bastani called it, man. Bastani was criticising his campaign for, like, the fact that the first people he spoke to was City AM, Mm. all this shit. Like, who the fuck reads City AM? Just, like, wanker, like, fucking... You've got to be up pretty fucking early to find City AM. Do they give it out for free? I don't know, I assume they do. I've seen seen it, like, four times on the tube, and I mean that over the last three years. I don't know if I've ever seen a copy of City AM in my fucking life. Like, I assume it's something they just read in these kind of, like, guild high tech kind of like but I just but went with ha- my heart he back much Paul Golding <laughs> There was a whole variety of people on offer. I think there was even a National Front candidate. Yeah. I'm just looking at a quote now from Margaret Hodge's contribution to this issue. Margaret Hodge says, There is an enormous talent among the new generation of Labour MPs, and they are quickly learning the art of opposition on the back benches. I'm like, hang on. <laughs> Get comfy. All the 2050 MPs who aren't like 
fucking slugs have already been like shot into the shadow cabinet. Mm. She's talking about like Wes streeting and <laughs> like oh the right wing lot from 2015. Talking Wes streeting. He's got in on that old style student politics cesspit where they lift up the just the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst of the yeah. worst. And you have Wes Streeting, MP for Ilford North. MP for McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, yeah, Simon Jenkins, who is often found in The Guardian saying stuff to the effect of, uh, shut down Operation U-Tree. The investigation has gone too deep and we need to focus on the future. Stop checking. Stop checking. <laughs> We need to stop focusing on the paedophilia of the past. Put that guest book down. (laughs) It's a very common name. Nobody needs to bring former Guardian employees into this. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Simon Jenkins, who also is sort of generally moaning, like, as a white man, I feel persecuted and all this shit. He starts his contribution. We all need an official opposition. It saves us thinking for ourselves. Yes, and Simon, that is something that indeed you have clearly enjoyed the luxury of never like, having to do. By that thing, like, we, we have one. And that, that's, that's the point here. We do have an official yeah, opposition. We, you're trying to do. delegitimize <laughs> it with this whole fucking bullshit issue, but if your opening line is, we need an official opposition, you have one, you just don't agree yeah. with them. Here's another bit of Simon. He says, The Mirror and The Guardian can be relied upon to adopt a loyalist stance on the left. You can wow. get fucked, mate. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm sorry, like, what? Like, what the fuck is he actually talking about? He's saying this in literally an issue of one of the... I mean, to be fair, he didn't mention the New Statesman there, perhaps because that would have been a bit bait, but The Guardian and The Mirror take roughly the same stance. As yeah, and, like, The Mirror's honesty. a little bit sort of more workerist, and, like, quite frankly... The only reason it's still Labour is because the Sun is conservative. They, yeah, they I... need their buying base <laughs> in the North and in the Northwest and with the Trinity Mirror regionals. They need that. They need their little stance. But whole other issue of uh, their regionals like the MEN and the Echo and where their ideologies are, because that, that goes deeper. Simon Jenkins also mentions the perceived BBC bias. It's like, have you looked on Laura Koonsberg's Twitter timeline, man? I know she's an easy target, but she fucking makes herself one. I mean, like, like you don't need to just look at her Christ. record. She's been reprimanded for bias. Yeah, literally. <laughs> literally reprimanded for bias. Proved. But did you read Will Self's contribution to this issue? Oh, I did. And as ever, <laughs> it was a delight. From the renegade of British political journalism, the man who famously injected heroin on the battle bus of John Major in 1997. <laughs> yes, we are talking about the irrepressible, the phenomenally talented, the overwhelmingly verbose Will Self. And I would like to take this opportunity to publicly disavow and condemn my lecturer, Will Self. And I would like... Admittedly, admittedly, I've only ever been to one of his lectures. I slept through. I think there was one other, and I did not make it. But nonetheless, I feel I need to put distance between myself and this reactionary garbage (laughs) oh it's fucking awful he's lost it it's incoherent it's unabashedly right wing it ends in the worst kind of way nowadays i think in terms of compassionate pragmatism i'll leave social i'll leave socialism to zizek and the other bloviators oh 
Christ. Oh, of course, my God. No... I'm just rubbing my eyes with frustration. Oh. There's nothing bloviatory about noted sesquipedalian Will Self. <laughs> <laughs> Nor I is mean... there anything socialist about Slavoj Žižek. Yes, Slavoj, send the refugees back! Which <laughs> is heck. I, I am ironically supporting Donald Trump. Of course, when I said that, that was just an ironic joke. Like, fucking idiot. Yes, Zizek, another one who has completely lost it. But uh, on the New Statesman website, um, this piece is titled Why I Am No Longer a Socialist. And Will Self makes various points here. What do you think of his arguments? Well, you could say he makes various points, but I think he makes the same point as ever in a million different unreadable ways. (laughs) Of, I can't be arsed with this anymore. I'm intellectually devoid of considering politics beyond 1997. (laughs) Everything was better back then. I was relevant. I had more hair. I could sell books. The smack was flowing. (laughs) And it was fucking strong. We hadn't gone back into (laughs) Afghanistan by then. It was great. (laughs) It was the real shit. The best of the best. He says, I would have taken Jeremy Corbyn's socialism in 1997. It's like, well... Right then, would you have just taken anything at that time? Is that just another sort of thing you're reaching for? Like, yeah, it's all right to say that. Yeah, of course, anyone would take that in 1997 because... You know, say it quietly. Anyone would have got in in 1997. Yeah, absolutely anyone. Like that's not a strong stance to take. That's not courageous to say that you would have been a socialist 20 years ago. And socialism was probably before you know what happened in the 2000s, further away from actually being actioned out, and would have taken more societal reconstruction to get out of that pretty socially illiberal Thatcher major era. You would have taken it then, when it probably would have failed in its infancy and we would have seen William Hague as Prime Minister in the year 2000. (laughs) But you won't take it now after the shit has hit the fan and the system is bleeding out and dying but limping on and bumping into the wall, taking people with it. I mean, as you say, the shit has hit the fan. Neoliberalism becomes this increasingly warped and ineffectual beast. But... Will Self seems to have kind of done a complete about-face for a person who has traditionally been on the left and says, The Corbynistas' willful refusal to face the real consequences of their quote-unquote economic policies, capital exiting the city like shit off a shovel, or indeed the lack of a definable proletariat to which anyone can show solidarity, are rendering labour utterly unelectable. So, I mean, what have you got there? You've got some right-wing shit about capital flights and fucking Atlas shrugged, the good people are going to fuck off. And then you've got that, like, oh, yeah, you can't... Can you can't even, like, define a proletariat anymore? I mean, like, everyone's well-paid. Yeah, I mean, yeah everyone, we're, like, we're all middle-class now. Yeah, <laughs> David Owen was right. We have a brilliant, unified middle-class that we all live in, and then we have untermensch from different countries who drive our taxis for less than minimum wage and clean our toilets and serve us our food, and they are just things. They're not, like, yeah, but people, people, there's, there's no worker anymore. Yeah, Because and everyone's I, I love... paid well for sitting on their arse, typing out fucking awful ghost shite 
as part of the agenda of this very self-serving magazine that's looking to get its circulation beyond 35,000 for the first time since the 1980s. Yeah, which I, I'm sorry I fucking contributed to that, by the way, by actually buying this. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm proud I didn't. I mean, I might graffiti it. Yeah. Like, I've definitely done one little bit of graffiti. Let me see if I can find it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a picture of Nick Lezard in here, that fucking hack. And Nick I've written, Legend. <laughs> Who, who incidentally is sharing anecdotes about bumping into Will Self in his piece, which shows what a sort of tight-knit circle of like-minded people this lot all are. But I've drawn a speech bubble coming out of Nick Lezard's mouth saying, let's murder Corbin, <laughs> in reference to his classic jokes that he made on Facebook over the summer, which he later apologised for. And interestingly, the person who runs the politics account was on the comments. Zoe Kemp? Zoe Kemp? Yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to keep digging. saying it. Zoe Kemp. <laughs> no, leave her in. So leave her in. Yeah, should we? Should we d- yeah. Okay, yeah, it. Leave her in. You know, it's just a nasty abuse account. If it wasn't Zoe Kemp, which it definitely is, I think it was just like one of those MI5 accounts. Or Jolly <laughs> like, and Green. Just... Yeah, Jolly and Green is a very, very bitter, twisted individual. <laughs> Walk, greasy, failure, fuck. No, I, yeah. I fucking hate Jolly and Green. Like, yeah, I just ta- think that he, he deserves the very worst. Yeah, he's he's always taking a pop at like Corbin's stuff and stuff. Just like just a nasty little man. Mm. Just like encouraging racist pylons and Diane Abbott. I'm very glad that about half my Twitter followers now have Jollyan in their names in order to mock him and that other cunt Jollyan windmill fucker more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad it's like disseminated out there. And on a closing note, I loved their response. I loved that. Yeah. I'm not mad. This is a real name response. <laughs> Just like, like, oh, you know, it's interesting. People didn't call the name Jolly and Posh back in Barnsley. <laughs> I was it's named like, after a... a TV character. It's like, <laughs> then your parents are fucking idiots. Yeah. Like, they named you this stupidly 19th century Evelyn War name because I saw it on TV. That's fucking uh, uh, stupid. Uh, very briefly, you know how 90% of male... Labour moderates look exactly like Owen Smith. Mm. Fucking boring fucking haircut, boring fucking glasses, a nothing face you just forget in an instant. Yeah. Wearing a bow tie in a fucking suit. So so that's a sizable constituency of Labour moderates. But it's also worth remembering that a lot of Labour moderates are also your da. So mm. <laughs> you've got Tom Watson here, the Shadow Minister for Dad Rock. You've got... Big Doug, um, Michael yeah, Duga. You've got, you, you got Dugger, best friends with Fergal Sharkey from the Undertones. Uh, <laughs> although, as somebody said, the only only teenage kicks that Michael Duggar gets are, I'm not going to continue quoting this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but Brad anyway, uh, Simon Danchuk. Simon Danchuk, who Kieran once shouted a, <laughs> a greeting. <laughs> at, <laughs> I shouted nonsense at him in the Windsor Castle in uh, Victoria. Shouted. But yeah, there's various ones. There's Alan Johnson as well, who said Clause 4 was like when... Blairism. When electric, yeah. Yeah, when, sorry, when, yeah, Clause 4 was like when Dylan went electric and I wrote a very good think piece about this, if anyone wants to check this out. I second that. blog, Think Cease, um, which I I believe ends up comparing Corbynism to Bonnie Vare. (laughs) 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 But anyway, Nick Pierce has written a piece here called 
Corbynism is invisible now. It has no secrets to conceal. Now, I fucking love Bob Dylan. I'm going to see him later this year. I listen to all kinds of obscure Dylan shit. Like, I have an old man's knowledge of the Dylan canon. But this is very Yadar. Just like Alan Johnson's comments, it shows just as their whole ideology it's perpetually stuck in 1997. Music for them is perpetually this like little classic rock period in the late 60s and early 70s. It's all white men and, it, and it's just kind of like guitars and yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, and they never really evolved onto anything more countercultural. Did you read Paul Mason's piece in here? I didn't get to Paul Mason's piece, unfortunately, which is a shame. I, I, I... Yeah, sadly I only skimmed it, but from what I read, it it was... I think it was a, it makes a lot more sense than, than the rest mm, of the stuff As it here. would. Although it hardly mentions Corbyn, to be fair. So, so that's interesting. Billy Bragg mentions Corbyn once in his piece as well. So the figures from a radical left, as they say, the pro-Corbyn thing... By the way, there's a cartoon of George Orwell on the page I turn to next to a cartoon pig. They're talking about harking back to an irrecoverable and partly imaginary past. They're using that as a metaphor for Brexit. But I think because this is a kind of piece that says that Tristram Hunt is, like, really ahead of the curve on multiculturalism, like, they're also talking about Corbyn. Yeah. Um, New nationalism, all that shit. Yeah. No. John Major's idealised Britain channeled Orwell is the (laughs) little thing in the corner of the page. (laughs) But, yeah, like, people are like, yeah, Len McCluskey is losing faith. All this stuff. I bet he's not. He said, yeah, obviously. We need probably about 15 months to turn the polling around. And everyone's just like, see, he acknowledges it'll take time. Yeah, Corbyn acknowledges that. Like, oh yeah, Diane Abbott gave him 12 months. No, what she said was, we want to see the party in a better shape in 12 months' time. And because we're starting to say it's not perfect, they're like, oh, you're stopping believing in it. But if we said it was perfect, they'd be like, oh, you're a cult, you're ignoring the polls. It's, It's all dishonest. The only thing we can do is just ignore it and continue to ignore it. And I mean, the best way to ignore it is to do two hours deeply analyzing (laughs) the biggest tract of these things. We're not mad. <laughs> we're, 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 we are not. We we're, are not we're mad at all. We're laughing right not now. Not mad at the slightest. We are, I am. I am laughing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, is, is Rachel Johnson Boris's sister? Uh, probably. Because there's very interesting extract here that I think we should maybe close with to explicate fully why the new statesmen are part of the same milieu as. George Osborne and Tim Farron, but they're not a part of the same sort of scene as those of us on the Labour left. I went to a dinner last week given by the French ambassador, Sylvia Berman. She fly-papered so many of the buzzy, bold-faced names for Remain. Lionel Barber, the editor of the FT. Jason Cowley, the editor of this magazine. The former Attorney General, Dominic Grieve. Mrs. Tony Blair, who I believe has a name. (laughs) Alistair Campbell. But it felt as if any minute someone would deliver a sterling Gaullist broadcast from a salon to rally the 48%. In the end, this function was fulfilled by Alistair Campbell. <laughs> so that sounds like a truly fucking ghastly occasion. So all these powerhouses of the Remain campaign lost? Yeah. Wow. Oh, because like, from that list, they all sounded so powerful and influential and incredible and inspiring. I thought they had the country behind them. Well, it's yeah, written it's, like it's, that. It really it, it is. is. Like it, It's written like Remain 1. The buzzy, bold-faced names for Remain. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> bold, bold-faced. It's been embarrassing to go through all these people 
who were on the losing side. The losing yeah. side of, of the easiest referendum. They tried to do what they did in Scotland. It finally backfired. Yeah. And now everyone's just bereft because there was never a coherent vision around staying, whereas there was around leaving. But they still yeah, don't realise you need a vision. And of course, Mandelson is in here advocating the ultra-remain line, criticising Keir Starmer, in fact, who apparently is the kind of consensus pick in the PLP for next leader. Well, at least I saw in some kind of piece, it said, the influential Tribune group of MPs, which, as I understand it, is a WhatsApp group that has a sort of quite low-grade website. They apparently are keen on Starmer, but Mandelson... And because it's true, I was criticising in the last episode Episode, the cognitive dissonance of people who criticise Corbyn's stance on the EU but love Keir Starmer. And fair play to Mandelson for being ideologically consistent and having a go at both of them. Mm. I don't agree with him, of course. And in fact, I retract saying fair play to Mandelson because nothing is ever played fairly in the world of Mandelson. Oh, Christ, no. Um, and yeah, it's certainly interesting. But you know what? I think I, think I need to... You know, go off and spend a little bit more time with the New Statesman Spring 2017 Investment Guide. Yeah. The new money. Pensions, shares, investments, savings, apps, fintech, whatever the fuck that I is. I don't even know what that is. That sounds incredible. Oh, I think a list of sponsors here. It's sponsored by Scalpable, sorry, Scalable.capital, B-Cybersure, Stoa. Don't know, that's like the story of <laughs> the revolution is happening. <laughs> Maddox Fine Art, Tortoise, Relendex, Nova Financial, a new approach, the Royal Mint, Bond Mason, and Archover. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, I've never heard of any. Fifty percent of them were Kremlin shell companies. Like, they were not real. Like the Real Politic podcast, yeah. in fact. Oh, it's all um, part of Vladislav Surkov's great plan. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think I really need to uh, spend some time with the piece by Labour's Chris Evans MP, who's that weird fucker who's like, he's the ch- chairman of the all-party parliamentary group for a hedge Oh, funds. God, yeah, I applied to be his intern. <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't know who he was. And then I read up, and I was like, oh, shit, it's like the FT, like... This um, MP is an unlikely friend to Mayfair. That's like, oh, oh my god. <laughs> if you're saying that, you don't know the fucking Labour right. An unlikely friend, sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, I get it. Yeah, so so I guess the companies have paid to have little, like, advertorials mm. in this bit. Some of it says advertorial, and there's, like, a couple of bits in here which, like, seem to be journalism. <laughs> Yeah, in, in, that's they, a blurred they, line. Yeah, and it doesn't say advertorial in in the corner. But of course, the New Statesman is just an advertorial for fucking piss weak, flaccid liberalism. <laughs> and I think I, it's been a it's been a unleashing of a lot of anger that sort of this stuff builds up, and it's not just in us; it's in everyone. And it grinds you down, and it makes you feel really, yeah. you know, unrepresented and beaten down, and you can't find an outlet to express yourself or you just see this thing coalescing around you and it's easy to lose hope but what i want to close on is just saying that no matter where you are no matter how you're feeling no matter what your stance is on any of these broad left issues or anything like that just keep in your mind that one day you will wake up to the news that peter mandelson has died (laughs) just keep on believing And on that note... (laughs) Can we get a Don't Stop Thinking About Tomorrow to play us out for that?
Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's a done deal. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. You've been listening to the Real Politic podcast. Follow it at Real Politcast on Twitter. Follow Kieran at Hipster Scumbag. Follow me at Uber Coca, Yair at YS Rice, and Tom at T Foster underscore ninety four. Cheers for listening, comrades. Arrivederci. Sweet. That's that's good, man. Oh, that's good, man. It's exciting, it's young people, it's crowdsourcing.